Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. When I scheduled Dean Briggs to come, I had met Dean in uh, Kansas City. A couple of us had gone up to Kansas City for a meeting up there at the House of Prayer, at International House of Prayer, and uh, Dean was kind of the MC of that, that meeting, and he made some comments that really struck my heart, and I thought, man, we need to have this guy come in, and so I asked him to do that, not knowing that we would be hosting Lou Engel a couple of weeks before. I didn't, uh, we, you know, Lou wasn't on our radar for that meeting. They had reached out and asked if we would host the send, and I said, let me pray about it, amen, we'll do it, and uh, so... Uh, but uh, just spent some time with Lou. I, I had read uh, some of Dean's material, but never connected the dots that Lou and Dean ran together. And uh, so, as I said last week, after uh, Dean was on his way over here, and he called Lou, and he said, hey, I'm, I'm heading to Iowa. What's the Lord speaking to you? And he said, well, I was just in Iowa. I'd, I'm going to see if I can get a hold of the message that I preached well, they found out they were at the same church, and it kind of freaked them out, and uh, they, they really felt like that was a God thing, and so do I. At the end of the message, I don't know how many of you caught this, but Dean was talking about a dream. I, I, it was unclear to me whether it was Dean that had the dream or Lou had the dream, but in the dream, they, they were both, they oversaw this huge track of land, this big square track of land, and they both had apple seeds in a satchel, and they were going to plant seed on this ground, and the seeds represented fruitfulness. But the, the, the edges of that ground were wasted away and only the center was fruitful. And while Dean was on the way over, they were talking about this dream and they were both wondering, could it be that that dream represented the United States and it's going to be the heartland of America, the center part of America, that the edges are being burned away, but it's the hope of this nation is in the heartland. I wrote Dean this week and just said, hey... Uh, back in 08, the Lord spoke to me about Iowa, and I interpreted it one way, and I still believe it to be interpreted that way, but I think there's an extra application in light of his message. For those of you that weren't here and haven't listened to it yet, because you should, uh, Psalm 80, he, he read out of here, let, let me read this to you, verse 6, in sacrifice and offering you have not delighted. But you have given me an open ear. Burn offerings and sin offerings you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of thy book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Now this was a psalm written by David. But it is applied. It's a messianic psalm. And it's requoted in the book of Hebrews applied to Jesus. And so it's saying that Jesus saw himself in the book and David saw himself in the book and God opened their ears to hear so that they could recognize themselves in the book. And I was telling Dean that that's kind of the backdrop of Dean's message and back in 08, we were in the middle of a move of God and, and the Lord spoke to me right down here and he told me, Iowa is a place he raises ears to feed the world. And of course it was a play on words like the Lord often does, that the Lord will har harvest ears of corn. We are part of the breadbasket of the world. We feed the world. 
But there's an added dimension to Iowa. There's a spiritual identity that Iowa carries. And we are a prophetic state that God harvests ears, hearing ears, ears that will receive, ears that will receive the word of the Lord so that we can, ref- we can feed the word of the Lord to the nations of the earth. But I never understood until last week as I was mulling over that message that there's something about Iowa that God has graced us with an uncommon consecration, an uncommon surrender. That those, he's, he's looking to harvest a company of people with an ear to hear and that respond by saying, Lord, we delight to do your will. There was an invitation from the Lord last week to enter into what God is doing right now. Some of you were here when Lou was here on that Saturday night, and uh, some of you may have even been in the pastor's meeting. Uh, the pastor's meeting, he was sharing this dream, and uh, it was, when he shared, it was, I, I told people we were liquefied. I mean, I ended up on the ground in a pile of tears with Andre Brooks over me. That's, that's a big man, and he was crying. I'm telling you, I was bathed in tears. And uh, just the release of the word of the Lord but in that time, Lou was sharing, and it's, it's in their book that they wrote together, The Jesus Fast, about how the Lord had called them together to write this book about the Jesus Fast. And there was these crazy prophetic tracks for Lou. He felt like the Lord had told him, call the nation, call the nations to fasting. And he thought, Lord, who am I to call the nations to fasting? And so he challenged the Lord. He said, Lord, if this is you, if this is really you calling me to call the world to fasting, then I, wanna, I want you to have a prophet call me tonight and tell me that he saw me flying a plane with an atomic bomb strapped to it. And that night, a prophet called him and said, Lou, I had a dream about you. I saw you at flying an airplane with an atomic bomb strapped to it, and you were getting to release the bomb. Now there was a reason that he asked for that particular picture. It was because of the book that Dean Briggs had referred to last week that was written in about 1946 called Atomic Power with God Through Prayer and Fasting. That bomb, that book went off like a bomb in history and it called the body of Christ to intense intercession and fasting and out of that came the latter rain movement, the healing revival of the 40s into the 50s. It resulted in the, this tremendous move of God in Argentina through the ministry of Ari Miller and uh, others. It shook the nations of the earth. Whether you know it or not, you and I are in the, that is part of our heritage. My childhood pastor came out of that move of God. There was a tremendous move of God connected to the latter rain movement. And some of the people that from Battleford, uh, Saskatchewan, that Dean was talking about last week, came to Ottumwa and Fairfield. There was a tremendous move of God. They wrote about it in the Des Moines Register that truck drivers would be driving down the highway and see this pillar of fire and pull in and get saved in Ottumwa, Iowa. My childhood pastor got saved in that move of God. 
Years later, my dad would pastor the little church that saw that move of God in Batavia, Iowa. The city was about 600, and during revival, they would have 800 people coming to the meetings. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good move when you have you know, like a third more in your meetings than the city. Now, if that happened in Ankeny, we'd have to build again. But there was this move of God that was the result of this book called The Atomic Power with God Through Fasting and Intercession. And so Dean thought, man, Lord, how could, could you really be calling me to do that? And so Lou asked the Lord for this dream, and Dean asked him, what would you do if God were to give you one message, what would it be? And Lou began to weep and said, I, it would be about the power of fasting. And Dean said, you and I are supposed to write a book. Someone purchased them a hotel room in London, England by Wembley Field so that they could write. Now that's kind of a nice gig, huh? Someone put you up in a hotel in London so they could write on it. And while they were writing one day, they felt like, let's just go for a walk and let's go to the bomb shelter that Winston Churchill hid in when they were being bombed. And as they were walking around the city and just talking, and they tried to get back to their hotel, and it was blocked off by ticker tape. And they told the police officer behind the line, they said, hey, we've got to get back to our hotel. And he said, buddy, you're not getting back to your hotel tonight because an undetonated bomb from World War II was just discovered near your hotel. Lou said, I was irritated, but thought, this may be God. <laughs> so as they're walking, looking for another way in, Dean suddenly said to Lou, he said, oh, Lou, I totally forgot. I had this dream. It was the most significant dream of my life, and I never told you about it. I was an engineer, and I had been called in to detonate an undetonated bomb from World War II, laying in a field. And he said, when I finally got it to go off, we, it, we had a hard time getting to it, but when we finally got it to go off, he said, it cleared the sky so that the gospel was clear to the entire human race in the air and everybody could see the story of redemption. He said, everybody was getting saved. He said, nearly everybody I talked to wanted to meet Jesus. And the few that didn't hurriedly went, went by me and I didn't have time to pursue them because there were so many others who were open. It cleared the atmosphere for the reception of the gospel. So they're talking about this and Lou says, I think that may be what this book is about. And I would give a big prophetic duh to go along with them. Interestingly enough, they found a little avenue called Engineer Avenue. Remember, in the dream, he was an engineer, that they went up and got back to their hotel, and they wrote the book, The Jesus Fast. I don't think it's a coincidence. I'm trying to weave some things together. You see, what God did for Lou was show him where he fits in the book through prophetic utterance, through encounters, through words from prophets in his own encounters so that he, it would come upon him, this sense of destiny that would harness his energies that he would give himself to the call of God on his life. The same happened for Dean. One of the primary purposes for the prophetic is to identify us, to discern where we're at in God's story. It's to awaken this fresh yieldedness that says, God, I want in. If that's me in your book, I want in on the story. 
I don't know about you, but when Dean shared at the end of his message last week about that prophet friend of his who had a, had a dream where the, he went to the archive room of heaven and he said it was miles and miles of books and this angel was accompanying him and he said there's two books, two volumes for every soul in the Lamb's book of life. There was a thin volume and a very large volume. And he said, why are there two? And the angel pulled the thin one and said, this is what most people believe for. And then he pointed to the large volume and he said, this is what they're invited to believe for. Now, I don't know about you, but that stirred my heart. And the enemy, if he can't get you to go to hell, if he can't keep you from salvation, then the next thing on his agenda is keep you from accessing that larger volume. He wants to imprison you in puny dreams. He wants to sentence you to a life of mediocrity and no impact. And God wants to inflame your heart and invite you into that larger volume. And as, it, as the psalm says, to see ourselves in his scroll. Where do you fit in God's story? There is not a person alive that was meant for only the thin volume. Every one of us have a large volume in which we've been inter, in, uh, invited into. Every one of us are called to greater things than we're now functioning in. And there is this lie from the pit of hell called false humility that wants to disqualify us out of seeming humility. Well, I don't want to think too much of myself. The vast majority of Christians don't think too much of themselves. They think too little. Now, I've met a few that think too much, and believe me, God is more than able to pop their balloon. But more believers than not think too little. And they believe that being used by God for great things is for the special ones. It's reserved for a certain part of the archive. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. I don't believe it is a coincidence that these two men who God has spoken so clearly to about fasting and intercession came back to back in this house and that they were wondering, could it be that the heartland of America, that the area of which we are residents, could it be that this is the hope for this nation? I would give a resounding amen, a yes to that question. I believe God has called us to engage our hearts. And it's not enough that Lou and Dean had these prophetic encounters so they see their role. God wants to unleash that on you and I. One of the great needs of this hour is for us to know who we are. If you hang around here long enough, you're gonna find something out. We're big on theology around here. And the reason we're big on theology is theology matters. There's an old saying, Ideas have consequences, and there are no ideas that have greater consequences than theological ones. What you think about God will determine the trajectory of your life. Low views of God will result in low living, and high views of God will pull you up into the stratosphere.
God wants to correct our theology. But the other thing you're going to learn about being around here is that the second most important thing besides theology, your idea about God, is identity. Your idea about you. Because you can have high views of God and low views of yourself and disqualify yourself from your destiny. And so one of the primary things the Spirit of God goes after are the lies you believe about yourself. He is out to dismantle those false ideas. The enemy is very strategic. I hate to admit it, but he is. He's very strategic. And he went to work the day you were conceived to sabotage your destiny. And that is why we're so big on the prophetic around here. Because one of the primary weapons of heaven to define your identity is the prophetic. Whether dreams, visions, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, a prophetic interpretation of the scripture. We don't believe the word of God is merely academic and general knowledge. We believe it's prophetic and specific knowledge. Where God will awaken a passage and grab your heart and pull you into his grand story. And it is your blood-bought right to see yourself in his grand narrative. God wants you to have a sense of destiny and to realize that you were created for such a time as this. There's a reason that you live in this region and in this generation. It's fascinating to me that if you read the New Testament, you have to come to the conclusion that two of the primary parameters of your calling is the time and the place in which you live. There, are de there is destiny on places. I was thinking about this this week, that God redefines places by the encounters that happen there and by the people those places produce and by the places produced by those people. The people the place produces and the places the people produce and by the encounters that happen there. And some of you are looking at me very confused. Let me explain myself. The city of David, there are two places in scripture that are called, referred to as the city of David. Bethlehem, because it produced David, the man after God's own heart. And that stirs heaven's heart to the extent when the angels show up with the shepherds, they said, hey, unto you is born this day in the city of David. I don't know about you, but that stirs my heart. That the angels look at locations by the men and women of God those locations produced. That when a great man or woman comes out of a region, that grabs the attention of heaven and there's an affectionate ref reference to that place oh that's the village that produced David and so that location was renamed because of who it produced but there's another city of David called Jerusalem and it's because that's the place that David produced. David conquered Jerusalem and it became known as the city of David. And it's because of the great exploits of this man that both of those places were noted by heaven. But then we have another place called Bethel. 
that up until Jacob stumbled upon it, and the place that renamed Jacob into Israel was also renamed by the same encounter. Luz became Bethel, the house of God. What I'm saying is this, that there is destiny in the land. There's not just destiny for people, but there are purposes embedded in planet earth by heaven. And God is looking to extract the purposes that he invested in places. It's not a coincidence that in 2008 the Lord spoke to me and said, Iowa is a place that I harvest ears. There's something unique about this region. And in order for us to live up to our identity, we've got to own the identity of this region. Because God is hungry to receive all that he placed in us and in the region. There are purposes for which he put us. Paul said God chooses the times and the places in which men should live. God chose that you would be here and that you would be alive in this generation because there are purposes that are connected to the timing and the place in which you live. The men of Issachar, it says, the sons of Issachar understood the times and therefore they understood what they should do. There was a prophetic sense they had of the time in which they lived and it defined the purpose of their life. All of this is crucial for you and I to understand because the danger is, is that we get saved from something we get saved from sin, but we never discern what we're saved to. That we end up rejoicing that we're not going to hell and thinking the only thing we were saved for was to go to heaven. Never realizing that the real reason we were saved is so that we can get heaven to come to earth and not for us to get to heaven. Amen. That there is an assignment on our life. There's a reason that God made you the way he made you. And it's incumbent upon you, it's crucial that you discern the reason for which you were made and begin to cry out to God and say, God, I need to see myself in your book. I need to understand the purpose for my life. I need to understand why I live. Why did you wire me like you wired me? My youngest daughter is doing an internship down at Elevation Church. She said, Dad, you gotta, you gotta listen to Pastor Furtick's message from Sunday. So I did. That guy can preach, man, I'm telling you. And he was preaching out of Genesis 5, and he was talking about how it says, God, on the fifth day, God made the air for the bird, the sky for the birds, and the water for the fish. He made the water, and then he made the fish for the water. And he said, you gotta understand, you were made for a specific environment. And he said, here's the problem. Some of us are birds and we're we're, we feel less than because we can't swim. And some of us are fish and we're feeling like losers because we can't fly. But a fish wasn't made for the sky and a bird wasn't made for the water. Oh, that'll preach. He preached it better. But I'm telling you, it'll preach. Because when you compare your life with someone else's life, you end up feeling less than. If you're a fish, you weren't made to be flying in the sky. You were made to be a fish and to shine in the water. 
But we've got to discern who we are. And when we don't know who we are, when we don't know who we are internally, we look for cues externally by comparing ourselves with others. And rather than encouraging us, it discourages us. When what we need to hear is the voice of the Lord, we need to hear from God, whether from his word, from a prophetic brother or sister, we need to hear from the Lord in prayer, but God needs to define us because that's what calls us up and out of that mediocrity, however you say that word. God wants to call us up into greatness. He wants your life to count. I don't think it's a coincidence that God brought Lou and Dean back to back to this house with a call for fasting. You knew I was going to go there. <laughs> I don't think it was a coincidence. Now, I was excited to hear this morning. I got an email from the call. It's just a general email. It wasn't to me personally. And it was a video of Lou. And this is the first I've heard anybody say this in regards to this 40-day fast. He said, we're calling leaders to call their people into a 40-day. And then he added Daniel fast. I about fell out, man. Woo, glory. I hadn't heard anybody talk about this as a Daniel fast. So those of you who have been a little... Hesitant to jump in, maybe that'll encourage you this morning. <laughs> but I do want to encourage you. You know, I figured out this morning, I did the math, it was something like 13,488 days I've been alive. 13,488, I think it was. Some of you are doing the math, I'm 56. I'll be 57 next month. And I was thinking, Lord, out of all those days, if I could go 40 days to give it to you, and possibly it would shape history. When I get to heaven, I'm not gonna regret the days I fasted. I'm not gonna regret the days I gave more to him. I wanna encourage you to ask the Lord to open your ear so that you can hear what he would have you to do in this fast. And the Lord will lead you. Some of you, there's, there's all different kinds of ways to fast, but I want to encourage you, ask the Lord and respond to him and cooperate with his grace. I believe this is a crucial time in history. I have this sense connected to it that is different than other fasts. 40-day fasting was not invented in 1946 when that book was written. Moses went on two 40-day fasts back to back. It doesn't say he stopped off for a burger between them. It might have been an 80-day fast. It was supernatural. Jesus did a 40-day fast. There's a number of 40-day fasts in Scripture. But there was something highly significant about that season in 1946 that launched the globe into a fresh move of God. And I believe that we're in another season like that. I believe that it can launch things in a significant way for the kingdom of God. 
So I want to encourage you. Ask the Lord what he would have you to do. I know that some of you have very physical jobs and you've, you know, in order to function, you've got to do certain things. And you, you just ask the Lord. God, God will lead you. But I want to encourage you. Let's engage our hearts. Ask the Lord, open my ear, Lord, and help me to understand what my role is in this. And some of you, you've, you've probably never fasted before. I want to encourage you, step into it. There are rewards to fasting. There is a, a, an engagement to fasting that is unlike anything else. There's an intimacy you can step into. Paul said, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. I believe that fasting falls under the second one. There's a fellowship with him in embracing that that you, you can break into that you wouldn't know otherwise. Let's look at this verse once again. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Now, I'd, I'd always read that verse, and I believed it was a reference, and a lot of scholars do. I just don't agree with them anymore. Uh, I, I've, I always looked at it as a reference to the love slave or the bond servant. You're familiar with that. Uh, in Jewish law, Moses codified it in Exodus where a Jewish slave, they would be a slave, they would indenture themselves into servitude for X amount of time, work off their debt, and then they could be free. But there were certain slaves that said, I love my master, and I want to be I want to be indentured to him for life. And it'd say, then what they would do is they would take their, their earlobe to the doorpost and they would stick an awl through it like a screwdriver, and they'd pound a hole through it, and it would put, it would like they pierced their ear, and it was a sign of their commitment. They were known as a love slave or a bond servant. Paul calls himself a bond servant of Christ. And so, in, in that way, they would, they would bind their life to that particular master. And I always thought that's what this was in reference to. Could you open my ear? I thought that's what it meant. But the Hebrew is very specific. It means to dig. I know this is gross. It's similar to a Q-tip, okay? It is removing the hindrance. It, it has to do with the internal ear. Some of you are familiar with Kiel and Delich. It's a well-known uh, Old Testament commentary, and they make a very strong case for this referring to the inner ear, not the outer ear. It's not about piercing our ear. It's about God opening our ear to hear. There's another interesting thing connected to this verse. In Hebrews chapter 10, it applies it to Jesus, but it interprets it this way. It says, in sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, and it's speaking of Jesus, but it reinterprets that and it says, but you have prepared for me a body. Burn offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is written within my heart. And so there's a lot of debate among scholars. How did they reinterpret that to mean you prepared for me a body? And it has to do with the Hebrew, what it means and what it could mean. And, and uh, suffice it to say this, most conservative scholars believe that when it says you opened my ear, it's a metaphorical way of saying I've surrendered to you. The Septuagint, uh, Alexander the Great, the great conqueror, he wanted to have the most glorious library in the world in Alexandria, 
Egypt, named after himself. And so he hired scholars from all over the world to translate all the known books into Greek, and he wanted them in this library in Alexandria. So he hired a bunch of Greek-speaking Hebrew scholars to translate the Old Testament into Greek, and that is known as the Septuagint. And so the Septuagint translates this verse, opening our ear, it translates it as a body you have prepared for me. And so it's as if the Hebrew is talking about God opening our ear to obey, but the Greek talks about the follow-through, how we're going to follow that through and yield our bodies. And of course, the New Testament apostles picked up on that and said, this is a messianic psalm talking about Jesus receiving a body and yielding it to God. Not only in obedience in his life, but in his death. A body you have prepared for me. We need to understand that when Jesus, the body that Jesus had prepared for him by the Father, was in and of itself an act of intercession and fasting. I went through a situation about five years ago, uh, a, a situation where I invested an enormous amount of time in fasting and intercession and crying out to God to see a situation turn. And that thing was stubborn and it didn't turn out the way I thought it would. The Lord spoke to me and said, this is a case study for you. And I was crying out to the Lord and I've got reams of notes that I, I wrote just in, in conversing with the Lord on this whole situation that was very troubling to me. And there was, there was some, uh, all kinds of crazy stuff in regards to this, but I was saying to the Lord, God, I can't fast enough. I can't pray enough. I can't do enough to come against this level of evil. What can we do and the Lord began to talk to me about how the incarnation itself was a fast by Jesus. That when Jesus willingly took on human flesh, he was fasting the unlimited glory of heaven. He said, I'll give that up for the sake of them. I give up a few meals every now and then, and not enough as you can see. But Jesus gave up the glories of heaven for 33 years. And even then, the New Testament is very clear. I want to say it's 1 Timothy chapter 1. It says there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. So Jesus didn't simply become human for 33 years and then unzip his earth suit, let that fall to the ground, and, and, and then take on the unlimited nature of omnipresent God not limited by the human flesh. He is still a human being. I'm not saying that he's not omnipresent. I don't know how that works, but I am saying that for time and eternity, he knit himself to us and he became one of us and there was an, a limitation that he embraced in that. So when it says, a body you have prepared for me, I am here to do your will. It's an amazing thing. That's no small thing, that the Son of God would take on human flesh and retain human nature forever for you and I. So it says in the Hebrew, he's opened our ear. 
And then it says in the Greek, a body you have prepared for me. We need our ear opened by the Spirit of God. Through prophetic unction, God can awaken you to your role, your destiny, your identity, who you are in him and his great economy. What is the purpose of your life? The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter five. Don't be a fool. Know the will of the Lord. Redeem the time for the days are evil. Don't be a fool. Know the will of the Lord. Redeeming the time for the days are evil. What he's saying is God has put you within this limitation called time. You've got one shot at life. Don't be a fool. Don't be foolish and waste that limited amount of time you have on planet earth. How do you avoid being a fool? By knowing the will of the Lord. We have one life. Let it be used to burn for him. Know the will of the Lord. So we need to have our ear opened. And that means we, we begin to have an understanding of our individual identity, our individual assignment. Why did God make me like he made me? And by the way, uh, this Wednesday night, we're gonna wrap up our Heartland Concepts class. We're taking one week off for uh, spring break, and then we're gonna jump into niche class. And we're gonna talk about this very thing. Knowing who you are, finding where you fit in the body of Christ. See, it's one thing to know your personal identity. But let me stretch this a little bit. Jesus said, a body you have prepared for me. That's true of you and I as well. The body that he prepared for Jesus was his physical body. The body that he prepares for you and are is, is his spiritual body that we're to be joined to. And it's one thing to know your individual identity. It's another thing to link that individual identity with a corporate body. That corporate identity of a company of people. God is looking for churches that he can harness and that he can use for his purposes. And that's not unique to Heartland. That's true all over the world. I am a firm believer not only in corporate callings but unique corporate callings. Every one of us have a unique calling that's based upon God's design and the enemy's attacks on your life because God brilliantly folds in all the enemy meant for bad and he weaves it into your destiny to mean it for good. It's, an, it's a glorious thing, a sermon for another day. But the fact is, there are also unique corporate destinies. We've talked about this before, but this is why it's so important that you find your tribe. Who are you called to run with? Because you can't break into all you were intended to break into without the people you were called to break into it with. The promised land of the Old Testament was divided by tribal affiliation. You could not get into your promised land. You couldn't claim the land that was promised to you unless you could prove and you were identified with that tribe of people that you came from and you were called to run with. And I'm a firm believer that God has a purpose for the different streams in the body of Christ. 
There are different emphases in the body of Christ because there's different callings. And you need to know your, your calling. You need to know your tribe. And you plug your individual calling into a corporate calling. And you find out where you fit so you can fulfill the destiny, the purpose for which you were made. You will never be fulfilled without fulfilling the purpose for which you were made. The enemy tries to give us these false aspirations, these lies telling us this will satisfy you. And I'm telling you, nothing else will satisfy. Many of us have been down that road. In the words of the late Billy Graham, he said, there's a God-shaped hole in all of us that only Christ can fill. And I tried to put a whole lot of things in that. I tried to put a beer can. It didn't fit. I tried to put this and that, and none of it fit. And when Jesus came in, I was like, oh, my goodness. This is what I've been looking for. But God has more in store for you than for you just to be born again and to have heaven as your eventual destination. There are purposes for which you were made. And the reason some of us struggle with besetting sin is because you're bored. It's because you're not doing what you were called to do. There's a reason that what precipitated David sleeping with Bathsheba, Uriah the Hittite's wife, was at the time of year when kings go off to war, David remained at home. Because he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do, he ended up doing what he wasn't supposed to do. And if you don't know the purpose for which you were made, you are more susceptible to being drawn into sin because you're bored. C.S. Lewis had this great chapter he wrote in one of his books. I don't remember what it was, but it's the basis for what John Piper, John Piper wrote a book, and the subtitle was Confessions of a Christian Hedonist. Now, a hedonist is someone who just feeds their desires. John Piper is no theological slouch. He's a thinker. And he read what C.S. Lewis said and took that and began to teach on Christian hedonism. What C.S. Lewis said was this. Man's problem is not that he pursues his desires too much. It's that he pursues them too little. He's willing to settle for sex and drugs. He probably didn't say drugs because he was a long time ago. But sex and alcohol. and he, the, He's willing to settle for that when eternal glory awaits him. At his right hand, scripture says, are pleasures forevermore. Man's problem is not pursuing pleasure too much. It's settling for too little pleasure. It's settling for the counterfeit. And what we really need to do is say, God, see, Piper toys with, I, I want to say it was the Westminster Confession. I'm, I'm not, I don't, not really sure. But in this confession, one of the, the ancient confessions of the church, it said, man's job is to glorify God and to enjoy him always. And Piper says this, he says, that's wrong. We need to pull out the end and put in a buy. We glorify God by enjoying him. And that our enjoyment of him is part of our praise of him. And part of 
enjoying what he's called us to and engaging our life and living for more than our little me and mine and our little, you know, those little tiny dreams that we settle for. And we hear the word of the Lord and we lay our life, we engage our life in these things. Man, it's late. I have lived about 13,500 days. What if investing 40 of them will change history? I don't know how many days you lived. I'm not going to guess. But will you give some of them to seek him? And to say, God, I want to, I want to be a hinge upon which history shifts, history swings, that this could be a hinge moment in our history. And I want to throw myself into it. I don't want to sit on the sidelines and be a spectator and a recipient of somebody else's engagement. I want to be one in the fight. This is what we were made for. Heartland, you are a house of war. Ankeny, Iowa. One of the reasons it began to grow and prosper was in World War II, we made armament for World War II. There's a reason we have what's called Ordnance Road. Because at John Deere factory, ordinances were made for the battle overseas. Just like Los Angeles, the city of angels, the messenger city, has been hijacked and is putting out messages but the wrong ones and the people who live there need to commit themselves to, to reclaiming that destiny that they would be the city of messengers for the right messages, you and I need to realize there's something about our history that speaks to our destiny and that we are a, a city that is meant to drop the bombs of fasting and intercession in the spiritual realm. Go ahead and stand. I want to pray for you this morning. I'm going to ask you just to lift your hands right now to the Lord. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus. Father, I'm asking that you would deliver us from mediocrity, from puny dreams, and being satisfied with counterfeit pleasures. God, deliver us from playing video games and failing to live one, the real battle. Lord, deliver us from living for short-sighted pleasure when eternal pleasure awaits us at your right hand. Lord, I'm asking that you would release grace to us. Open our ears and help us to understand where we fit in your plan. And Lord, speak to us about this fast. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.